Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. We're glad you're here today. My name is Todd Connitz. If you're new here, I serve as one of the pastors here. We're grateful that you're our guest. How many of you weathered the storm or storms last night? Well, I say amen to that. You survived and maybe more on the way, but it's good news. You're in here, right? So we're not going to get wet, hopefully in here, okay? So we're good. So uh, we're in a series called uh, The Passion Week, and we're in week five of this series looking at various stories of Jesus' journey to the cross and resurrection. We'll finish the series on Easter Sunday uh, looking at the cross and the empty tomb. And uh, until then, we're journeying through various stories, just kind of getting an understanding of this journey and what it means to us, the various stories and how it impacts our life um, today. How many of you, I'm curious, can remember a moment in your life where you've either done something dumb or you've failed in some way, you've done something that was just embarrassing? It might be something serious, it might be something not so serious, yet equally embarrassing. Anybody here, raise your hand if you can think of a moment in your life. All right, so some of you may have heard me tell about this, but there was a... Um, uh, when I was in college, we were, I went to East Texas Baptist University, and, and uh, we were in Longview because that was the place that you went um, back in the 90s was Longview. And so uh, we were walking through the mall in Longview, me and a couple of buddies of mine, and uh, we were just chatting it up, and a couple of ladies were walking by that caught our attention. And so I'm just trying to be cool. I've got zero game whatsoever. Um, but hey, I'm 19 and I'm single. So I'm walking through the mall and I see this girl and my eyes have made uh, contact with her. She's kind of looking my direction. I think she's probably thinking, who's this dork? But I, maybe not. I don't know. And I'm walking through and I'm looking and my, and my friends, you know, I'm like, hey, check this out. Watch this. And so I made a comment like, um, you know, hey, can I get your number or something like that? And, and something, something stupid. And, and right when, I mean, I said that, a pole <laughs> right here, all right? And I'm, I went down to the floor. I'm talking, I'm in stride. I'm like, what's up, ladies? Kind of boom, and I'm down on the ground. I mean, completely leveled. I mean, black out for a moment. I pull myself up, and I am, I'm humiliated. So I get up, and I'm talking to my buddies like, I didn't even see the pole there. And did you guys see the pole? And I look up, and my friends are gone. <laughs> like, and, and now I'm looking at the girls. They have, they're, they're gone. I didn't get the number, by the way. And, and so like my friend, so now it's insult to injury. I get up and, and now not only did I run to a pole, now I'm apparently talking to myself because I'm having this conversation with my friends. They bailed on me and they're just gone. I'm like, I mean, it's one of those moments where he's like, I just want to crawl under a rock and like just disappear forever. Um, it, it was terrible. But listen, life has moments like this where you do something that, that, that you just know, man, I'm embarrassed by this. I shouldn't have made that choice, I shouldn't have, have done that thing, and you kind of left with this moment in your life that you wish you could get uh, a do-over in. Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Where We're going to look at the story of, of Peter, and we're going to really talk about what, what it means in our life and how the gospel addresses the failures of life, and, and really answer this question, what does God think about me when I fail? And this is exactly what we see in Mark chapter 14. Peter uh, is the, uh, one of the 12. He's, he's the impetuous one. He's the outspoken, self-confident disciple who's going to fail Jesus miserably. And what we discover in, in, in his failure is this, is that, that Jesus has a way of doing this. He actually uses Peter's failure to save Peter from Peter. That he's going to use this failure to redeem Peter. Up to this point, Peter's thinking that Jesus loves me because of what I do. But this is going to be a moment in his life where he experiences, in the, gospel, experiences the gospel in a way that radically transforms his life forever. If you know the story, we've already covered much of this. Peter is up in the upper room with Jesus. They're celebrating the, the Passover meal. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Now they're heading out of the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray and then he's going to be arrested and then he's eventually going to be uh, crucified. And on the way out, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, hey, listen, one of you, you guys are all going to bail. One of you is going to, to deny me altogether. And Peter's like, not me. 
All these other cats may go, but I'm not going. I'm, I'm going I'm to uh, uh, die for you before I'll deny you. Man, I'm in to the end. Like, I'm not going anywhere. And we see this confidence in Peter, and then we get into the garden scene where, where the soldiers come, and Peter being Peter, impetuous, the soldiers are coming. By the way, a, a large number of them with swords. And what does Peter do? He pulls out his Swiss army knife and decides to swipe at one of the soldiers. Dumb move. Misses, cuts the dude's ear off. Jesus is like, what are you doing, Peter? Picks the ear up. Puts it back on the guy's head. I mean, you talk about a moment where you feel like a bonehead, right? Like, like I'm, first of all, I'm bringing a knife to a sword fight. Not a good choice. I missed and cut the guy's ear off. Luckily, Jesus is there to save the day. And we know the story. Jesus is arrested. And he's led away. It's been a long night for the disciples. And that's where we pick up in the text in verse 66. Verse 66, Mark 14, 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were also with the Nazarene Jesus. you got this little schoolgirl, and she's confronting Peter. But listen to verse 68. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystander again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself. Now listen, when I say this, this when the Scripture says he invoked a curse on himself, it's not like he's like, you know, saying a curse word here. What he's simply saying is that this he's invoking a curse. He's saying basically, I don't know what you're talking about. And if I know him, may I be damned to hell forever. We're talking about serious, serious denial. One of those moments where, where Peter just let the fear control his life. And he says, uh, began to invoke a curse on himself and, and to swear, I do not know this man whom you speak. So not only do I know what you're talking about, I don't, I don't know him at all. Listen to this verse 72, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And listen to the last phrase, and he broke down and wept. Peter swore, I'll never abandon you. I'll never abandon you. And not only does he abandon Jesus, he denies him. Not only does he deny him, he denies him in the strongest possible ways with a curse. This is a serious failure in Peter's life. Now, it says something happened here. It says as soon as the rooster crowed, he remembers what happened. But Luke, Luke in his account, gives us a little more detail about this moment. Specifically, Dr. Luke says this, that when, Jesus heard, or when Peter heard the rooster crowing, he looks over and he's in the courtyard and there Jesus is. Peter is standing there. It's early morning. He's by this fire, and he looks up. And as he looks up, he sees that Jesus has fixed his gaze on him. This point in the story, if you read the story, Jesus is already bloody and bruised, beaten. Maybe there's blood running down his face. And there Peter is. His whole world is crashing down around him. The one he promised, I'll never deny you. He is now face to face. It says that Jesus looked at him intensely. This is not a, a look of judgment. This was a look of compassion. Peter, I told you. I told you. I want you to feel the weight of that moment. And it says in that moment, Peter just broke down. Literally, the, the, the phrase there means that this leveled Peter. It doesn't mean that he got emotional and just started to cry. It's like he drops to the ground and he is completely broken. He is completely destroyed. Everything in his life that he had lived for has now been stripped away. The one he loves is going to be crucified and he abandoned him. And this is a moment where Peter knows that Jesus knows what Peter just did. And this is a breaking moment for Peter. You ever had one of those moments in your life? I want you to get honest. This is, this is, 
serious question. You ever had one of those moments in your life where you, you failed? You did the thing that you said you wouldn't do again? The promises made, but promises not kept moment. And you made that decision, and you're there in that moment, and you said that thing, or you thought that thought, or you acted upon that impulse, and now here you are, and you're in that place where you know Jesus knows what I've done. And here's what I love about this story. And we're going to jump in and we're going to dive into some details. What I love about this story is this, is that up until this moment, Peter's entire relationship with Jesus, if you look at the way that he compares himself to others, this is the way he props himself up constantly, Peter's entire identity has been rooted in what I can do for Jesus. And Jesus in his grace and mercy has leveled Peter. He has allowed Peter's failure to bring Peter to a place where Peter had to come to the end of himself so that he could recognize that he, what he needs is the grace and mercy of Jesus. It's what he's needed all along, but he had to come to a place of being broken in order to find it. One of the ministries I love in our church that we're a part of is a ministry called Graciously Broken. Anybody familiar with Graciously Broken? It's an incredible ministry where you, you, you're able to see God take some, some women who've gone through some very difficult seasons of life and now um, through the brokenness, their lives are being rebuilt in Christ. It's an unbelievable ministry, and you're seeing, we see life transformation happen through this great ministry. What I love most about the ministry is not just what they do, but what they're called Graciously Broken. And the whole concept is this, is that, that God in his grace and mercy will bring us to those moments where we fail miserably, where we are at the end of ourselves, where we are graciously broken so that we can taste grace and be restored and redeemed and put back together. And listen, I, I can tell you just in my own life, there have been moments where God has had to graciously break me so that I would see a part of him that I didn't know before and would drive me to my knees so that I would rest more deeply in who he is and what he's done for my life. This is what we find in the life of Peter. Peter has been broken. He's leveled and God is going to use this embarrassing failure to turn him into a leader that's going to literally shake the world for Jesus. That Peter is going to move from this place of brokenness and he's going to become the apostle that, that starts the church and that becomes one of the greatest leaders in church history. And the question is, how do you get there? How do you move from that moment when you failed Jesus and you're broken and you're weeping to being the guy who stands in Acts chapter 2 and, and preaches Jesus and 3,000 people give their life to Christ? How do you get from point A to point B? I'm glad you asked the question, all right? And I'm going to give you the answer. So grab your Bibles. John chapter 21 is where we're going to be. We're we're going to pick up in the story, and we're going to see how Jesus in the gospel brings Peter full circle back to this place of redemption. And we're going to discover some things about the gospel as we walk through this story, but I want to set it up. John chapter 21, we're going to start reading in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. He says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Now, pause here for a moment. John opens up this chapter by saying, after this. So the question is, after what? What has Jesus done that after this he did this thing that we're going to read about? After this is after his crucifixion and resurrection. It's that Jesus has died, put on a cross, gave his life, put in a tomb. Three days later, he is resurrected. Now, over about an eight-day period of time, Jesus appears to his disciples. Now, he appeared to uh, Mary at the tomb. And what did he tell Mary? You go tell the disciples, and listen to this, and Peter to meet me in Galilee. Now, why is that important? You go tell the disciples and Peter. Why did he include and Peter? Wasn't Peter one of the disciples? The reason he included and Peter is because Peter at this moment thought his, his life was over. I'm no longer counted with the disciples because I abandoned Jesus. So Jesus resurrects. He tells Mary, hey, go get, go get um, the disciples and tell Peter I want him to come too. And so in a, in a few days, Jesus appears to his disciples a couple of times. And now here we are again in this moment. I love this. Look what happens in verse uh, 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of 
Zebedee and, and two others of his disciples were together, which I, I was always wondered, the other, do other guys read this and be like, hey, why did my name not get mentioned? Like, yeah, this guy, this guy, and this guy. This guy's dad is this name. And then all these little details. And you're like, ah, oh, then there's two other guys. I mean, sometimes I feel like the other guy. Uh, and he, listen to this. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So they're, they're, they're in Galilee. They're, they're at the Sea of Galilee or Sea of Tiberias. And, and, and Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. Now, why is this significant that this detail is here? This is a significant statement. I'm going fishing. Not because he says, I'm going fishing, but because of who says, I'm going fishing. If you know the story of Peter, you'll know that Peter, before he became a disciple of Jesus, was a fisherman by trade. He, he was, a, he was a, a man who, who spent his life on the sea. He didn't fish for fun. He fished for a living. This is what he did for his job. Jesus entered the equation and says, hey, you're going to stop fishing for men, uh, fish, and you're going to start fishing for men. And Peter walked away from his fishing business and began to follow Jesus. And now here we are, denial, resurrection, and Peter is there. And maybe, you know, a lot of guys, scholars will... will have debates on what is going on here, but here's what I think is happening. Peter's just like, you know what? I can't just sit around and wait anymore and figure out what to do next. I don't know where I stand with Jesus. I don't know what's next for me. When I failed him when he needed me, I'm going to go back and do what I know. I'm going to go back fishing. Like, like, Compare it like this, like, like Jason Witten. Anybody excited about Jason Witten coming out of retirement, coming back to the Cowboys? Some of you are excited about that. Um, and here's the thing. Jason uh, Witten, the star you know, uh, player for the Cowboys, he, he, he goes in and tells his wife, hey, I'm going to go back to football. I'm going to go play football. And his wife doesn't even ask questions about what he means by that, right? Why? Because that's what he does. If I was to go home and tell my wife, hey, I'm going to go play football, she's going to be like, first of all, Why? Second of all, who's playing and when you're going to be home? Because she's, she's not even going to wonder, are you talking about professionally here? Are you talking about you're going to go try out for this? She's not even going to guess that. Why? Because there's no background, no reference point there. So when, 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 when John says, Peter I'm, says, I'm going fishing, what is he referring to? Peter says, I'm going back to my old life. Listen, sometimes when we fail Jesus, sometimes when those moments in life where we blow it miserably, here's what we do. We want to run back to the familiar. We want to go back to the old life. We want to go to the place where we, at least I know this and I can go and do this and I can be successful. And oftentimes, listen, it's not that going fishing for Peter was a sin. It was just not what Jesus called him to do. So, so many of us, here's what we do. When we fail Jesus, when we blow it spiritually, many of us, we run back to our former life. For some of us, it's to step back into the sin that we once lived in. Or maybe for some of us, it's not the sin we once lived in. We're just going to go live and put priorities where they shouldn't be. Oftentimes when we fail, rather than dealing with the failure, we just want to cloud out the memory of the failure by just being busy with something else. This is why many men overwork. This is why many women uh, pursue and get, put way too much emphasis in their social life because they're, they're just trying to stay busy, trying to keep their mind away from the thing that they know they've got to deal with at some point. But if I can just stay busy enough, if I can just go do these things, then I don't have to deal with this thing that's, that's looming over my head. Are you with me? And he, here's what you have in the story. Peter says, I'm going uh, fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And I love this. He, he goes out, he, he hops in the boat, and he goes fishing. And, and they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. I love that detail. Why, why is that detail in there? It's because I think this is divine intervention. Peter's a pretty successful fisherman. But in this moment, he catches nothing. Why? I think God prohibited him from catching anything. Why? Because God loves him too much to let him be successful at something other than what God called him to do. Some of us, we, we, we fail and we, we, we drop the ball and spiritually we, we don't do the thing we know we should do and we run back to things we used to do and we find out that they're not as satisfying as they were before. You know why they're not as satisfying as they were before? It's because Jesus is reminding you that I'm better than that. I've called you out of that. It is the grace of God that causes him to be a failure in the boat in this moment. Now, I want you to, to see what happens in verse 4. It says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I love this, listen to this phrase, Children, do you have any fish? Now, they've been fishing all night long. 
This is not fishing for fun. This is fishing for food. They're fishing for their livelihood. Hey, 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 little children. And by the way, in the original language, it's not children as in, hey, young guys. The, the word he uses here is little boys. And the way the question is structured is, 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 is structured in a way that gives the answer. In other words, hey, hey, little boys, you, you didn't catch anything, did you? Hey, little boys, you, you've been at it all night long. You didn't catch anything, did you? And by the way, Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus. He's sitting by a fire cooking fish. In other words, he's got what they want. And then yells from them, hey, you smell it, little boys? Did you catch anything? Didn't think so. I did. Look at my fish. I, I can only imagine the conversation on the boat. In fact, look at the answer. No. Don't you love that? But no explanation. No, we've not done so well tonight. Thanks for asking. None of that. Hey, little boys, you, you didn't catch anything, did you? No, we didn't catch anything, moron. We'd be up there cooking with you if we did. So here, here they are. Imagine the frustration. I love what he says next. Hey, hey, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, this is insult to injury, right? Hey, little boys, you didn't catch anything, did you? Hey, maybe you ought to try throwing them on the right side of the boat. And I'm thinking Peter's probably mumbling, yeah, as opposed to the wrong side of the boat, moron, right? Of course, okay, let's just do that. Let's just throw it on the right side of the boat. Maybe we've been thrown on the wrong side of the boat. That's going to solve the problem. So what do they do? They just grab the nets, maybe in frustration, and they just sling them to the other side. And look what happens next. I love this. There's a massive miracle here. It says that, so they cast it, and now they were un, not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish. And here they go. Now they're trying to bring these fish in. I love what happens. Look at verse 7. There's this massive miracle. Then that disciple whom Jesus loved, I love how John refers to himself here. You know the one, the one that Jesus loved. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, listen to this. He said to Peter, so it's important there. He doesn't say to the disciples, who does he speak it to? He said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. And then this little detail is important here, about a hundred yards out. Why is that little detail important? It's because it, it forces this question. Well, what has happened in this moment? What just happened? This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples. This is the third time that Jesus shows up and reveals himself post-resurrection. Peter has been around in the other occasions. And in a moment, you don't see this interaction with Peter where he's giddy and running after Jesus. You kind of see just this, this kind of weird interaction where Jesus shows up. He speaks to them, talks to them a little bit, then he slips out. No real engagement between Peter and Jesus. So here's the question. What just happened in the story that when Peter is told, hey, Peter, it's it's the Lord that Peter jumps in with his clothes on only a hundred yards out. Rather than waiting for the boat that's already heading back to shore, he jumps in. He can't wait and he swims to the shore. What is it that has happened in this moment? Let me tell you what happened. This miracle that you just read is not the first time Jesus performed this miracle. In fact, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, Luke chapter 5, you can go back and read the story. You see, the first time Jesus performed a miracle like this was in Luke chapter 5 when Peter was called to stop fishing for fish and start fishing for men. If you know the story, Peter was out fishing all night long and again did not catch anything. No fish in the boat, nothing to show for it. So imagine the frustration. He's coming back and Jesus is teaching and large crowds are, are coming around him. And it says that Peter was mending his net and Jesus says, hey, you mind if I stand on your boat and use it as a platform to preach? The crowds are pushing me, so let me kind of get out from the shoreline and preach. And when he's done with the sermon, he looks at Peter. Now, Peter has been fishing all night long, nothing to show for it. He's already got his nets put away. And now Jesus says, hey, can you take me fishing? Now, I love how, you know, the, the story, we always want to clean the story up where Peter's like, well, I fished all night, didn't catch anything, but if you want me to go, it's like, I can imagine Peter's like, are you kidding me? I know I don't want to take you fishing. I was fishing all night long and didn't catch a single fish. 
uh, but okay, I mean, if, you, if this is what you want to do, we'll go out. And when he goes out, he lowers his nets. And what happens? There were so many fish in the, the nets that, that, that the other boats had to come around to help tow the, the fish uh, in. And in this moment, Peter recognizes the miracle. This, this miracle takes place before him. And it says that Peter drops to his knees and he says to Jesus, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Jesus walks over to Peter and says, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on out, you're going to walk away from this and you're going to pursue fishing for men with me. It says that Peter that day sold everything and started following Jesus. This is why Peter jumps out of the boat in John 21. Because this miracle wasn't for the disciples, it was for Peter. What Jesus does is so gracious and so loving. Jesus recreates the moment when he calls Peter. Peter is at the lowest moment in his life. Peter is in that moment of brokenness. I'm I'm, I'm giving up. There's no way I could be used. There's no way he would ever let me be one of his disciples. There's no way I could ever do this thing that he's called me to do. I failed him when he needed me. I'm just going to go fishing again. And Jesus orchestrates the same exact miracle. And this is why Peter jumps out of the boat. Because Peter realizes what Jesus has done. Peter realizes that this moment, the gospel is enough that Jesus is saying to him, I know you've messed up. I know you failed, but I still want you to be mine. I'm still calling you to the same life. In this moment, here's what happens in Peter's life. The gospel erupts in him. And he understands that his grace is sufficient. That his grace is sufficient. Jesus is saying to Peter, I know What you've done, Peter, I know where you've been. I know the failed promises. I know the shame. I know the guilt. Peter, I love you. And I'm not done with you. My grace is sufficient. Come follow me. And Peter is so overwhelmed. He jumps out of the boat. There's going to be an interesting dialogue that happens from this moment forward and interaction with Peter and Jesus. And I want to to do something as we think about this moment of redemption, this moment of epiphany where the gospel erupts in Peter's life. And it all makes sense that in the midst of his failure that there is this grace and mercy that is unimaginable. I want to show you three truths that we find in the remaining parts of this story that I believe would change our lives if we really understood the magnitude of what Peter experiences and what we can experience in those moments in our life of failure. I want you to write three truths down that we learn about the gospel from the story of redemption. The first is this. Listen to this. The first is this. The gospel enables us to run to Jesus instead of from Jesus. The gospel enables us to run to Jesus instead of away from Jesus. You read what happened, right? I mean, I mean, Peter has this incredible moment of clarity, and he, he doesn't even bother to, to wait for the boat to get back. He doesn't even worry about taking his clothes off to swim. He just jumps in, and he swims to shore. And I can imagine, like, halfway there, the disciples are rowing beside him going, that was a dumb move, Peter. It's like, a, like Forrest Gump, right? Y'all know the movie Forrest Gump. When he sees Lieutenant Dan, like, Lieutenant Dan, right? Y'all know that moment in the story where he just kind of just jumps off the boat, and he's like, and Lieutenant Dan's looking at him like, you're an idiot, Forrest, I appreciate the zeal. This is the Forrest Gump moment for Peter. Peter's like, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I see what's going on here. And he, he sees that his grace, that Jesus' grace is greater than his failure. And Peter can't help himself. And he runs to Jesus. He doesn't run away from Jesus anymore. I want you to look up here at me just for a moment. Listen to me. There is a natural tendency in all of us. There is a natural tendency in all of us in this room for us to, when we fail, to run from Jesus rather than run to Jesus. We always want to retreat into the shadows. 
kind of hide in the shame, sulk, and kind of, let's just stuff it away somewhere, and I don't want to deal with it. I want to just kind of, and here's what we do. I don't know if anybody can confess to this, but I'll confess to it, and it may be in your heart. You can confess to it, but there are moments in my life where when I fail, there's this tendency to want to do better before I can get in the presence of Jesus. Anybody relate to that? It's like we gotta, we got to clean ourselves up and say, okay, I failed, I've blown it, so let me nail it a few times, and then I'll pray. I'm going to kind of pull away from church until the guilt doesn't feel as heavy anymore and I feel like I've done some good things and I can kind of get back into church. I don't want to, I don't want to go to the Bible right now because if I go to the Bible, then I'm going to kind of have to deal with this. Let me just wait until I feel worthy enough in and of myself and then I'll come back to Jesus. There is a tendency in all of us to do that. But when we, when we understand the gospel, when the gospel erupts in our heart, we recognize the gospel enables us to run to Jesus rather than from Jesus. This is the big difference between, by the way, Peter and Judas. You ever wondered that? Like, like, like Peter and Judas, when you think about the story, they both deny Jesus. They both betray Jesus, do they not? Judas does some for money and Peter does for what? Self-preservation. Both of them abandon Jesus in an hour where he would need them the most as disciples. But there's a distinct difference between Judas and Peter. Judas goes and hangs himself, his life is over. He has remorse. And then he goes and hangs himself. Peter has this, this moment of brokenness. He goes on to preach and 3,000 people give their life to Christ and becomes the greatest leader in church history. What's the difference? There is a difference between repentance and remorse. In remorse, Judas runs away from Jesus and hangs himself. But in repentance... Peter lets the gospel do a work in his life, and he runs to Jesus for restoration. There are some of you in this room, because the gospel hasn't taken root, maybe, or, or maybe it's because you just don't quite understand the, the, the magnitude of the depth of the love that God has for you. You've been spending your time running from Jesus rather than to Jesus. But the gospel says you don't have to do this. So why do we run from Jesus? I'll give you a simple answer. Because we're not certain about what he's going to say to us, right? Now we have a concept of God that I've got, like, like, like I just, I'm, I'm uncertain, I'm insecure, and someone's going to hide and withdraw. What do you do when you have a friend that, you know, I don't know that we're at odds, I don't know if we're at a good place, I feel like there's this thing we haven't dealt with. What do you do? You just avoid that friend, right? Because of the uncertainty of what's it going to look like when we get together. I want you to listen to what happens in verse 9. I love this. When they got out of, out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish, some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. By the way, I love the details the Bible gives. I, you know, because here's the thing, you, you don't, if you're telling a story, you don't have to give that. Like he didn't have to say, one, they were large fish and there were 153 of them. This is, this is, I think, more evidence of why the Bible is reliable. If you're writing just some myth of, of, of stories that you're making up to try to tell a story, you're not going to add details like this. What kind of fish were they? They were large fish. How many? There were 153. How do you know? We counted 153 of them. So here's what happens. And, and although there were so many, uh, the net was not torn, kind of another miracle and, and another added detail that really, uh, other than just for making sure that the story is told accurately, is not important. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Now, what does Jesus do in this moment? What does he do? I mean, all this time, you know, we, we wonder, what, what does Jesus feel about my failure? How is he going to respond when I run to him rather than run from him? I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to say, hey, let's sit down. Let's have fellowship. Let's catch up. P -p Jesus doesn't yell at Peter from the shoreline and say, Peter, what are you doing? Get off the boat, get to the shore. You and I have some unfinished business. I know what you did. I, you, the disciples know what you did. You're a failure. Get over here. We got to deal with this. Jesus doesn't do that. He simply performs a miracle reminding him of the calling. And then he says, come, let's sit down. Let's have breakfast together. Let's just share a meal. 
Listen, some of you, you're running from Jesus because you're, you're, you're fearful of what it's going to be like in that moment where you're, 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 you're confronted with that thing. And listen, here's what you're going to find with Jesus. When you approach him, listen, you're going to find the grace you need in your time of need. You're going to find fellowship with the one that gave his life for you. And you're going to discover, I love what Richard Seib says about this. He says, we're going to, you're going to discover this, is that there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Peter just walks up and he has breakfast with Jesus. Some of you need to stop running from Jesus and just sit down and have breakfast with him. Which leads me to the rest of the story. Look at verse 9 again. It says, When they got out of the, on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Now, pause here for a moment. This is one of the reasons I love the Bible. When you study the Bible, you learn more things that you didn't know before. How many had those epiphany moments where you're like, oh my goodness. So, there's a detail given here. The detail is the type of fire that Jesus made there at the shoreline. It was a what kind of fire? It was a what? A charcoal fire, right? Well, the only other time, you see fire all over the Bible, by the way, but the only other time in the Bible that you find a charcoal fire is found in John 18, 18. And you know when it is? It was John's account of Peter's denial. The only other time you find charcoal fire is in the account of Peter's denial. He was warming himself up, Mark says, by a fire. John tells us a type of fire. It was a charcoal fire. What's happening in this moment? Here's truth number two. Write this down. The gospel addresses the deepest wounds of our greatest failure. The gospel wants to address the deepest wounds of our greatest failures. This is what's happening in the moment. Jesus recreates a second moment for Peter. He recreates the calling, right? The, the miracle of the nets and the fish and cast it out. And there's this moment of epiphany where he realizes, man, Jesus' death and resurrection is enough. And he runs because Jesus has recreated one of the most significant moments in Peter's life, which causes him to run to him. But when he gets to the shore, Jesus also recreates another moment in Peter's life. He recreates the moment of Peter's greatest failure. So here Peter is, he's having breakfast with Jesus, it's daybreak, and I'm just going to use some divine imagination here, maybe in the background you hear a rooster crow, and there they are, the setting is the same, temperature is the same, the sun is coming up the same location, he smells the charcoal from the fire, he feels the warmth. Jesus is just across from him. Maybe it's after breakfast and things just kind of calm down. It smells the same. It looks the same. It feels like the same moment. You ever had a deja vu moment? When I was in Brazil, I was on the boat. Uh, we were moving to a village and I was drinking coffee and there was this uh, fire burning in the distance, and I could smell the, 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 the smoke uh, from the fire, and I was sipping coffee, and the, the, the temperature, and where we were, and, and, and when I, all the trips I've gone to Africa in the mornings, one of my favorite things to do is sit out, read my Bible, and to drink uh, the African coffee, and, and in Africa, there's always this kind of this burning smell that's just intoxicating. It's just there's something about that experience for me every time I go. And I'm sitting there on the, in, in Brazil, and there's this deja vu moment where I, it feels like I'm in Africa. It smells the same. The temperature's the same. Every, I'm drinking coffee. Everything, that moment is like it's identical. This is what's happening for Peter. Jesus is forcing him to enter into the moment of greatest failure. Look what happens in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now think about the setting, smell the smoke. The lighting is just right. There Jesus is in the, in the distance. He's seeing him. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Jesus recreates the moment in every way, doesn't he? There's the fire, there's the smell, there's the sunlight, there's the everything. It's early morning, the temperature's the same, the setting is there, and here he is. And three times, the last time Peter stood at a fire like this, three times he denied even knowing Jesus. Jesus sets the scene, and he looks across at Peter, and his eyes are fixed on him. And three times he says to him, do you love me? What is Jesus doing here? He's forcing Peter to deal with the deepest wounds of his greatest failure. He's just looking at Peter in this moment. He says, I just can imagine in my mind it's kind of gotten quiet and there's this awkwardness with the disciples because Jesus is just staring a hole in Peter and Peter is not wanting to make eye contact because he knows I've been running from this moment for days now but he can't escape. And here he is, and think about the memories of failure. Think about, he, he's hearing his own words echo in his mind. I don't even know him. I've never even heard of him. Damn me to hell if, I, if I've ever even met this man. He's hearing his own words play in his mind, and then Jesus interrupts the silence and says, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? I can imagine the first time Peter just looks at him broken and says, I love you. The second time, yes, I love you. And the third time, now he's forced to really think and contemplate. He knows what Jesus is doing. And now he's frustrated. He's saying, Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. And there's this moment where Jesus is saying, I want to look inside that wound. I want to dig around and root inside this wound. I want you to peer into it. I'm giving you a second chance. We have to clean this up. We, we need to deal with this. Peter, we've got to have this moment of clarity. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. And Peter, I know that you love me. I know that you love me, but I want you to know that I know that you love me. And he gives them an opportunity. You see, what Jesus wants from Peter is what he wants from us. Listen, Jesus wants Peter not only to experience forgiveness. He wants him to experience the freedom of forgiveness. And there is a difference. Is Peter forgiven at this moment? You better believe it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a Christmas stain, but he washed it white as snow. Peter stands before Jesus in this moment, completely forgiven because of what he's done on the cross, but he's not walking in the freedom of his forgiveness. And Jesus knows if I don't deal with this, if I don't force Peter into the deepest wound of his greatest failure where he can own it and have this opportunity to come clean before me, he will never walk in the freedom of the forgiveness that I've given him. And he will spend the rest of his days either trying to make up for it or feeling inferior because he's not walking in the complete fullness of what I've come to bring him. Some of you this morning, you've tasted the forgiveness, but you've not walked in the freedom of forgiveness. For some of you, the reason you keep it surface level with you and Jesus because you know that moment when he has to peer into you and say to you, listen, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. And we got to have a conversation. we got to acknowledge the elephant in the room and we got to deal with this. Otherwise, that past experience, that thing that you did or that was done to you, well, you'll be dragging that around the rest of your life. And there's a campfire moment that Jesus this morning wants to have with some of you where you can experience not just forgiveness but the freedom of the forgiveness. I'll just tell you this, in, in, in uh, 2000, I think it was 2004, I had a campfire moment with Jesus. And I'm not going to go into all the detail, but there was this moment where it was in a, in a worship service where the song was being sung. 
And there were some things that, that I thought about myself in regards to my relationship with Jesus and because some of the failures of my past and, and just, just some, some unhealthy way of thinking about my life that I had been suppressing. And I, I'd been a minister for years. And I'll never forget the campfire moment for me. There, there, there was just this moment where Jesus just said, I love you. And I've proven that I love you. But when will you come to realize the depths of that love and the freedom that is found in the forgiveness that I've given you? When will you stop trying to compensate for your failures thinking that the approval of man is going to give you something that I've not already given you? I'll never forget. I was sitting beside my wife. I remember getting on my knees and just weeping because Jesus had confronted the greatest, the deepest wounds of my greatest failures. And he, 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 he brought healing into my heart. For some of you this morning, that needs to happen in your life, which brings me to number three, and this is where we land the plane. The third truth that we find here is, listen to this, the gospel keeps our failure from becoming final. The gospel keeps our failure from becoming final. I love this. All three times Peter responded, yes, Jesus, I love you. What was Jesus' response? Then feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. Go care for my sheep. What is Jesus doing here in this moment? Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, I know where you are. I know what you've done. I love you still. I know that you love me. Now, can we put this behind us and move forward to what I called you to do? I know that you love me. Let's move on. You failed me. It was a mistake. I've paid for it on the cross. There is freedom. You don't have to be bound by those wounds anymore. There is complete wholeness that's found in me. So Peter, let's get this thing behind us and let's get back to doing the thing that I've called you to do. Just go feed my sheep. And I love how Jesus asked this question. Do you love me more than these? I think he's referring to the disciples. Why? Remember what Peter told Jesus in the upper room? These guys may fail, but I'm not. I love you more than they do. Post-failure. Jesus just looks at him and says, Peter, where's that confidence now? You love me more than these guys? What's Peter's response? I love you. I don't know about those guys. I'm done comparing myself to other people. I'm done trying to compete, to win your affection. I'm done trying to hold myself up to somebody else, thinking that if I can compare myself up to enough people, then maybe you'll love me more. Jesus, I'm done with all that. I, I love you. It's as simple as that. You know why I think that's important? Peter could never be the shepherd of the sheep that Jesus entrusted to him until he got to the end of himself where he was no longer comparing and competing. And he could just simply love Jesus and love the people of Jesus. And Jesus restores Peter that day and gives him a second chance. Look, look what happens later. Jesus says, the rest of the story is this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then with some commentary, this he said to show by what kind of death he will glorify God. And then he just simply says, and after saying this, he said, follow me. And of course, Peter, being Peter, says, well, what about John? And Jesus says, what about John? I've got a plan for John's life. But I've got a plan for your life, too. Your failure, Peter, isn't final. Just come follow me. What is Jesus doing in this moment? Jesus is saying, listen, by the campfire, when a little girl came up to you and questioned your relationship with me, you denied knowing me. But Peter, I'm not done with you. I'm going to not let your failure become final. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to put so much courage in your heart. 
I'm going to infuse you with a supernatural strength that you don't possess right now. And there's going to be a day coming where you will stand before the multitudes and you will profess me with no shame, with no fear. In fact, Peter, you're going to die for me like you said you would because I'm going to infuse you with a supernatural power. You see, here's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Your failure isn't final. I'm not done with you. There are big things that I have in store for your life. And this time, because you understand the gospel, because you understand your dependence upon me, you're going to stand with courage. History tells us that Peter, some of this is probably myth, but the story says that when Peter was in Rome, he had a vision of Jesus and Jesus was heading into the Colosseum. And in his vision, Peter is recorded by asking Jesus, recorded that he asked Jesus, where are you going, Lord? And he says, to be crucified again. And that Peter, filled with faith, turned and he was crucified. Hands stretched out. Peter's failure wasn't final. Look up here at me. Neither is yours. You see, when Jesus said it was finished, what Jesus meant was sin is finished, death is finished, the grave is finished, judgment is finished, guilt is finished, shame is finished, but you're not finished. You know why? Because it is finished. Because he accomplished for you. That means you're not finished. All those things that would keep you from Jesus are finished, but you're not finished. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, just stand to your feet and bow your heads. And we're going to sing a song. Our staff is going to be available for a few moments. And here's what I want to do. I want to read to you the lyrics of the song we're about to sing. And some of you need to respond to this morning. There's a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. We actually incorporated that song this morning because I just couldn't get past the lyrics in my own heart this morning thinking about today. And here's what the lyrics say. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. And then the chorus says, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then it says this, Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. This morning, for some of you, Jesus is calling for salvation. Others of you, he's, he's calling just to deal with the thing, the failure. So our staff will be here just for a few moments. Let's sing. Father, we love you. We thank you that there is an altar available. We thank you that we can come to you with our failures, with our struggles, with our pain, with our sin, and find a healing in you. And so, Father, we lay this before you. We ask now that freedom could be experienced in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, let's respond, and let Jesus do a work in your heart this morning.